Gab with your hosts, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for uh, Saturday, August 31st, 2019. And I promise you that what I actually said was Saturday, August 31st, not whatever it is you thought you heard, because that's what I said this week. In addition to your two magnificent hosts, we have John Delarose, the leading Hispanic voice in science fiction, on the show promoting his new comic project, the third volume of, and I'm going to pause here to give John a chance to jump in for but a moment before I ask the other John how his week was. Take it away, John. Hola, senor Warpig. No, no, I asked a question. You're supposed to jump oh, in with the title. Oh, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Um, so, sometimes, you know, English is comes second as the leading Hispanic voice in science fiction. Um, Flying Sparks. brand new project, the title of? Flying Sparks. Flying Sparks, the, uh, the new superhero alternative to Marvel and DC. Uh, the John Della Rose's superhero verse, which is happening now. I'm expanding all of this. I'm taking all of your pulp lessons you've taught me to heart, Daddy Warpig and Jeffro Johnson, and I'm just cranking this stuff out on, you know, on basically a monthly basis for comics. And uh, and also, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to get that to like a two or three comics a month uh, on my next phase. So we're uh, we're going we're going full pulp. We're going full like this is 1950s. We're just going to make this a success by having so much awesome content out there. And it starts with Flying Sparks, uh, which I think we're at the 210th page of comics uh, once this comes out. Somewhere in there, maybe 230. Somewhere so in there. This a is lot. volume three, wow. folks. And that's what we're going to be talking about on the show today. But before we do, uh, Dornall, how was your week? Hey, guys. It's been a really good week. And, and, and I've got a funny story to tell. Uh, this uh, is there better be gushing involved because I was promised gushing. Gushing? Well, I mean that depends on on how uh, John feels here. So oh, okay. I oh John was promised gushing. Yes, I was promised nothing. You were promised gushing for well, you know. Now I've said too much. Okay, and I, I, and now, I, I, it's impossible I for me to deliver now. Okay. It, but but I'll do my best. Uh, you guys may know that that I uh, needed a vacation from work, so I, I took that vacation from work. I finally got time that I could take a week or two off from work, and so I'm resting at home, just taking it easy for the first week. This this is a complete coincidence. I promise you, I'm not making this up. The second I started my vacation, Blizzard Entertainment released. World of Warcraft classic servers. Uh. And let me tell you, the nostalgia <laughs> is good, gentlemen. The nostalgia is good. I've just been... I said, you know what? I'm going to take a week off work. I'm not going to do anything important for the first week. And I have done nothing important for the first week. Uh, it's it, it's just... It's everything like you remember, John. Don't so, do it. Oh, man. You're saying you did nothing and it was... Everything you thought it could be? Oh, yeah. Remember Shadowfang Keep? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah I, should, I should go to Shadowfang Keep 
keep because like any smart player uh, starting on a fresh server, I'm a skinner. Nice. <laughs> uh, gotta save up for that mount, boys. Gotta save yeah. up for that mount. Uh, no, it's it's been good. So that's my week, Daddy Warpig. Uh, my week has been uh, fireballing kobolds day in and day out. And if you stay in the woods killing boars, you can become the most powerful characters on the server. That's a South Park reference. It is. <laughs> you missed my office space reference, so... It was a we're you're one for two. We're we're good. Yeah, I'm disappointed, Padawan. Yeah, <laughs> I want to play WoW so badly. I just can't. I just like can't because I know how much time that really means. <laughs> and I will if I if I really want to be cranking out at the level I just mentioned, um, and and doing books on top of that, and you know having a life. I don't really have a life, but. Um, and having a family and a, and a, and a job also, <laughs> let's call it that. Um, there's no way I can even like touch WoW because there's there's no way to play that game casually and and really enjoy it for real. Uh, yeah, you're right. If don't don't subscribe, telling yourself, you know what, I'll play two hours a week. I'll just mm. I'll set aside you know Wednesdays and Thursday nights. I'll play for an hour before bed. No, that's not going to happen. You're going to be up till you're going to be up till two a.m. You're going to be like, yeah, but I got to go this way. Pick up the flight path. Uh, I just this crest is green. I'm just going to turn in this quest, right? No, you're. And then, uh, uh, honey, won't you come to bed? Yeah, I thought you were finished an hour ago. Yeah, I was. I'm just posting my auctions now, right? <laughs> yep, I've been like, there. <laughs> like, like you're you're done playing for the day. But then there's that that wind down time where you're like, all right, let me let me sell my gear, put stuff on the auction house, level up my professions, buy some new spells. That's what it's like. I, I gotta get I gotta get my alchemy potions so that I, you know all the mats ready so that I'm I'm uh, I'm ready for the raid. You know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's it. That's what it's like. How about you, Daddy Warpig? Uh, I did, did not play WoW, and I did not play WoW Classic. Good for you. You're way ahead of the game. I uh, It almost killed my relationship with my wife. Um, incidentally, she's the one who introduced me to it. And believe it or not, God bless her, she she did play casually. Um, so I she showed me the game, and I was like, this is freaking the best. And I, I'd play with her with her laptop next to mine. It was cute for, like, the first day. And then I figured out, you know, the game pretty quickly and started started grinding. And I noticed she was kind of just running around looking at the scenery like like you'd expect a girl to do. Um, and uh, and she was cool for doing that for like 20 minutes and logging off. And I'm sitting there going, got to get to the next level, got to get to the next level. And eventually I did end up being uh, the best, probably the best healing paladin on my server. And so every top tier raid guild wanted me. Um, and I, um, I, uh, I started getting into that and then eventually, like, I mean, we're talking, we're, we, you know, six months a year down the line after you grind through those levels, what happened was I, I remember this moment where it's like, I had some friends who wanted to go out to dinner and like, I kind of stopped hanging out with them cause I was playing wow a, a lot more. Um, and I, I, my wife's like, we got to go. And I'm like, 
I can't miss the rate, guys. I mean, my guild, you know, they're going to dock me points and blah, 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 blah. And oh, like once no. I like once I uttered those words, it was like, I got to quit this game. It's over. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I probably killed. I mean, I probably killed hours wise, like three months of my life on that. Holy thing. Never, cow. Never again. Never again. And and that's why I avoided it for years. I avoided MMOs through the Ultima Online uh, era and everything like that. I just I just can't do it. Right. And and then my brother introduced it to me and I had the same sort of thing happen. It was like, well, this is taking an awful lot of my time. What you going to do? Yeah. I'm not going to play it. <laughs> Good. I just wanted to warn you, like all of your fears are, are correct. Oh, I know they're correct. I, and there's there's no way around it. Um, I mean, the game is beautiful, though. I mean, it, re- it really is the perfect game to addict you and make you feel good about doing it and, you know, ruining your life while doing so. So, so j- just the technical question, did they upgrade the, upgrade the graphics of WoW Classic? No. It's, uh, it's, it's actually really nice. It, it looks the same uh, as I remember. It looks the same as I remember from when I played. I played, uh, I played at the beginning of the Burning Crusade where the original content levels one through 60 was, is largely untouched from vanilla. So, uh, in terms of leveling, I played vanilla and, and it looks exactly the same. Uh, it feels like they've, uh, they've added some interface improvements and fixed some bugs. So it's not, precisely like vanilla but it it looks and feels just like it especially the leveling we get somebody <laughs> i think uh, i think john you've got a fan in the in the comments a fan in the audience who hasn't listened to the show before <laughs> oh yeah what what's got? going on uh yeah, he, uh, he wants to know when we're going to talk about flying sparks. <laughs> Great question. I'm sorry, uh, I, I'm adding that tone of voice there. I don't know that that was his tone of voice. That's just the impression I got <laughs> from the from the pixels on my screen. I, th- I think the way he's saying it is, "You guys going to talk about flying sparks or what?" <laughs> um. That's the impression I'm getting. I don't know. I'm just. I'm not trying to make fun of him. I'm just. I'm just trying to pass along the message. Is I'm all just I'm saying. saying. Wow, wow, classic seems slightly more important at the moment, and we kind of just go in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Anti dark mind. Welcome to the geek gab. We just go with what's in the moment. I uh, we I hope we've appropriately set expectations here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we're here for flying sparks. I mean, I think he's got a good point. He did apologize. He said uh, he said he didn't want to be rude. And it's okay. You're not being rude, dude. I, I I was just making a joke. I will take any opportunity I have to make a joke because uh, you're I don't know. Answering that might yeah. take a lot a lot a deeper dive into my background and the past and my childhood than I I think would really be healthy to do on the show. But I, I like jokes. That was my, uh, that, that's sort of my MO too. I mean, that's why we get along. Um, and I, I had somebody like, I had somebody like going, you know, why don't you just like really focus on like making, you know, your brand and making sure it's an author thing and making sure everybody, you know, it's, it's always about the author brand because I mean, you're, you'll get better faster with that. And, 
you know, uh, people will be there for the story and not for your other stuff. And I'm just like, I just want to be funny. I don't, I don't care, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? That's, that's what makes you such a a fun guest to have on the show. Uh, We we always like to have you on the show because, and, and you're good. uh, uh, This is the compliment uh, phase of our show. We'll get back to the insults later, but you're a good ambassador for the pulp rev and for, uh, for working hard. Not only do you really put in a lot of work, like your hustle is really good, but you have a positive attitude, which on the internet, we need a lot more of. We really do. Thank you. I don't feel like I have a lot of a positive attitude a lot of the time, but I guess that's me. It's, it's, it's you, you, you come off as someone who you're making the stuff that you love because at the end of the day, you just want to be, uh, uh, you want to have a good time. You want to be sort of left alone to do your thing and enjoy the things that you like. Uh, and that's, and that's hard to do these days. Yeah. And so, I want to cover the cost of that too. And that, that's the beauty is I'm able to cover the cost of that. And I talk about this, my buddy's Tim Lim, uh, who, I, who uh, has about the same philosophy as me. Like we want to have fun. Like the whole point of a comic book is fun. And if I'm not having fun with my comic book and my readers aren't having fun with my comic book, like, and it's like, you know, I mean, there, there's nothing there. I, I, I would, I would, I would sacrifice a hundred grand for like fun in, in any, any day of the week, hundred percent. Like, I mean, it's just not worth it. So I don't know. All right. So I, I, I think most people would, you know, evidence, ev- classic was good evidence of that. <laughs> classic was good evidence of that. <laughs> Your hundred grand job is gone. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you want to give a give the audience other than that fan fantastic introduction you gave earlier? Um, what is new in the life of uh, Flying Sparks? Cool. Um, I did a video on this uh, a couple of days ago when I was launching, and I was super sick while I was launching, which was very fun. I'm better now, which makes me happy. I'm still going to cough a little bit, probably, um, but. Yeah, Flying Sparks has been like just sort of my comic thing I've wanted to do for over a decade. And I started out and, and you start getting with these indie comic guys and in, in you know, they're doing Kickstarters or publishing and making and selling at cons and stuff. And all of them go, superhero stuff doesn't sell. You just can't do superhero stuff. You have to you have to make something literary. And I just sit there and I'm like, I hate that shit. I'm sorry to swear. I won't do that again. So I, I hate that stuff. Um, and it's not fun. And it's just all dark. And every, I notice every, everybody around me is making these dark, edgy books that, like, you know, are just very nihilistic. Or or they're doing, like, you know, the, the full of absurd, right? You, you, you can go full of absurd and ironic. And that's just every indie book around me. It's just this, like, giant hipster community of comics. And I'm just like, I just want superhero books like I... I, I got before and they canceled my favorite two superhero books at the time, which was spider girl and bat girl. Um, and I was like, I just want those books back. Um, screw it. I'm going to make my own. And so that, that's kind of what brought this one about. Um, and so I, I paid for this, uh, over the years and I bought just like a couple pages of art a month, just like set aside money for my paycheck. I had it scripted out through like six issues or something like that. And I just did that for a few years, uh, which which encompasses the first two volumes. 
And then um, I, I gave that up because I'm like, why am I spending so much money when I could just write novels? So then I wrote novels and I, I ended up being able to sell that stuff without that. And I came back to Flying Sparks because like the comic thing started to get me a little bigger on the internet in 2017. And I'm like, you know, maybe I could try to sell my book and see what happens. And it blew up huge. And uh, the first volume just uh, did, I did, I think it's done a little over $35,000, $40,000, including Amazon sales now. And um, the second volume did, you know, I mean, it did well also. And uh, now, so it's, it's actually something I can do and make a like ongoing serialized comic book of superheroes just like I wanted uh, before um, with the difference being that I have complete control over this and I can develop my characters. I can kill people off and they'll stay dead. There's no retcons. There's no magical events that like reset the world so that they can keep that property pure for its movie version or whatever. I can, it's all about the comic and it's all about the story and it's all about moving it forward. And I'm, I'm able to do that. And I'm able to just like, if you've read much of my writing before, every time I release a new one, and, and this is true of my steampunk books or whatever, I try to ground you in the first one, and I try to try to make a, a very, like, level one, you know, this is back to WoW Classic, a level one style character. And then as they progress in levels, they progress to fight crazier things and do crazier things. And that's that's what's going on now in Flying Sparks Volume 3. We, we've gone from Volume 1... Uh, you know, barely introducing the powers. They barely could fight. Volume two, uh, you know, we've got a, a mafia boss now. And then she's got like this laser gun thing going around. Volume three, we've got a giant freaking laser cannon that they're firing at her. And all of her villains are getting together and and and, uh, and working together to take her down. So this is, this is the type of uh, build I like to do. And I like this slow roll sort of thing too. And, and starting at level one, because a lot of problems I have with fiction projects is when you start out with the guy like being super awesome and able to save the world right away, and then and then you have that at the end of the first book, there's really not much further you can go from there, I feel like. So I, I like to like very slowly draw out my characters and, and build them slowly, like a grind in WoW Classics, basically. You like to you like to start off with your your heroes. You you, you know you buy your pants big and grow into them. That's a, that's a weird metaphor, but you you don't have room to grow if your heroes can save the world right off the bat. Correct. That's that's kind of how I feel. Um, and so I mean, it'll eventually get there. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I like to save the street level first, and then and then save the city next. You know, I mean, you got to build it. And I feel like when you get these superhero universes like Marvel, where it's like um, the universe is about to implode, and then it does, and then they they advertise it with. The, the world will change forever. Somebody will die. And it's like, okay, well, then he died and now he's back again. And now you've got another advertisement for the universe changing forever and somebody's going to die. Um, why should I care? Um, so you, you got to make the changes permanent, I think, in a story. And I think you got to make, uh, I think you got to make the, um, the, the danger real uh, because if it's always going to reset and there's no real danger, it's, it's tough to get invested. Uh, that sounds like a departure from the existing problem with comics that a lot of people have talked about this over the years, but the effect of the speculators on comics, especially through the through the 90s. 
and the way it created those weird situations where there's always a special event, there's always someone dying, there's always, always these flashy variant covers. So in in what ways have you deliberately departed from that? And, and are you embracing any of those ideas or, or concepts now? I'm not doing a flashy event. I'm, I'm keeping the story first. So it's like, um, I, I, I want the story to be what it's about. Um, and so um, there's, there's no real event in this. It just is continuing the story and it's building and rereading uh, the fir- first couple issues as, as I've been doing as I'm writing new issues of this, uh, just for continuity and stuff. I layered in a lot of stuff that's like small little details that like build over time. And like, there's not payoffs on some of it until now, or sometimes, you know, actually the next volume might pay off something else. Um, and so I've, I've got all this stuff like layered and built up. And so I'm, I'm really just pushing that serialized story like you used to have like in the 70s. Like, I mean, no, they, there was no like real events and stuff like that. You just had your book and it just kept building. I mean, if you looked at Spider-Man and like the Kingpin was a mystery for a while and like, fi- you know, you, you'd see him in a few panels on one page. And then, you know, in the next issue, he'd be plotting something. And then the next issue, like, you know, he'd actually send people out to fight Spider-Man. And then, you know, a few issues down, Spider-Man would actually meet him and there'd be that confrontation. And it's because it built up that whole way. And so that's the type of storytelling I want to do. I think that's what's great about serial storytelling. Um, and um, I'm, I'm more into that. Now on variant covers, um, I, I am putting in a variant cover now. Um, I, I did on my second one. And honestly, it, it made me good money. So I'm doing it again. Um, I'm staying away from all that weird, like, chromium whatever stuff, because I just don't want to deal with it, and I, I think it's cheesy. Um, so what I did, uh, I just made uh, some fan servicey uh, cheesecake art as a variant cover, which is only available on the Kickstarter. Um, and uh, if you want that, you can get that. I limit it, and it's extremely limited. I, I made my one print run, and then never, never prints again, and that's it. Um, I think you're scrolling down to it now. Yeah. There we go. And it's just super fun. We just went for like utterly ridiculous fun for that. Um, and I just do one. I'm not going to do like four or five of them. Um, that's going to be it. Um, I didn't do a variant on the first one. Um, and then I also don't make my stuff limited. I mean, the whole point, in my opinion, uh, of a Kickstarter is to raise the money for art and raise the money for production so I can get this out and get the story out and then eventually get the story to as many people as possible. So a lot of these Kickstarters, they run their run one print run and they stop. Um, and, and that's how the speculator market goes is they go, oh, my gosh, this is a limited product. But we're in 2019. There's no reason to have a limited story. Um, so I put it up on Amazon uh, afterwards and then um, anybody can read it at that point. And it's always there and it will always be available. And that's the goal to just make it easy for people to find. Um, Escape Velo mentioned he was looking for uh, issues one and two in the chat here. Um, volume one is available on Amazon and volume two I have a uh, link for. I don't know if it lets me post links in the chat, but if it does, I don't have it up on Amazon yet. Um, but uh, I still, I still, am, oh, there it goes. Cool. I did it. Um, so I'm still selling those, uh, those volumes uh, directly and I, I just shipped those out of my house. But I end the concept of limited availability because the story should be available for everyone, for new people to find all the time. That's the whole like beauty of the internet. Uh, I love it. Uh, you, yeah. you had a, I had a couple of follow-up questions, but but you said so much. Let me try and think of one. <laughs> uh, all right. So 
we're talking about the story you said uh, in past in tweets and in past episodes that this is Romeo and Juliet, but Romeo's a supervillain and Juliet's a, yeah. a superhero. That's 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 one of the basic ideas, right? Yeah, that's the concept. Um, I I um, just because it's me, and if you know my kind of general attitude towards life. Um, I mean, that's that's the starting point, I guess. But I'm not going for tragedy because uh, I like to feel good. I don't like to feel bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, so that, that'll be the difference <laughs> between me and that Sh- William Shakespeare or whatever his name was. Um, yeah, that guy. You're, not, you're yeah. not killing off, you know, everybody at the end. No. <laughs> um, Dude, no, what, I, what you really should do is like a Hamlet thing. You know, Romeo and Juliet was a piker. I mean, only two people die in that. And Hamlet, man, everybody dies. Everybody dies. Yeah, I'm getting sick of that uh, in fiction, to be honest. So, uh, so that sort of leads me to my next question because that that sounds like a fun setup for for a comic. You you instantly have a, a cast of characters that can play off of each other. Uh, so I've got two follow up questions. The first one is. Do you have an end game in mind? Do you have an end state in mind where I finished with all of the Flying Sparks narrative and now the universe is open. I can tell more stories about Flying Sparks, but this main narrative is through. Have you planned yeah, that out? I, I have this. I have a full arc planned out for uh, for this main storyline right here, uh, which is uh, which is going to end probably volume five. Um, and so it, this, uh, everything that's been building up since issue one is going to, going to come to a head at that point. And, uh, and then the world is going to change forever. Uh, there's going to be that. So we'll have a big event. Um, but, uh, and, and that's, that's where I'm, I got the story so I can just, I can end it there if I want, if people want more of it, I can keep going as a comic book thing. I mean, I would love to just have an ongoing superhero thing for as long as I feel like writing it and, make them age as I feel like making them age and, uh, and, and do it that way. Um, that, that'd be the, that'd be the ideal thing. Um, but I also want to be careful, um, because I, uh, you know, I, I guess I'll spoil a little bit. I mean, you, you kind of know my sensibilities in writing based on what I said already. I don't want to end this with a, like they break up, uh, or like, you know, Oh, they're married now. So I can't, I can't write good stories anymore. So I better find some way to like kill one of them off so that, you know, they can stay young or whatever. I hate that about comics. I hate that, you know, uh, my, my main anger at comics is the, the Spider-Man and Mary Jane marriage and how they dissolve that. So um, I never want that to happen in this. I want to, uh, and I think it's lazy writing on their part. Um, and I want to be able to create a couple that has a relationship that is ongoing and doesn't just terminate um, in order, uh, I, I don't, I don't think there's any reason to destroy that when, once that, uh, once that's resolved and, and all that, I, th- I, th- I think you could still write compelling characters in a marriage scenario and, you know, maybe that'll be volume two. That, that sounds or, great. Um, or season two, we'll say. <laughs> uh, it, it does, it does seem like uh, lazy storytelling to say, well, we want to, we want to tell relationship stories. So we're going to have to break up these two characters that had such a satisfying conclusion to their to their narrative last season. We're just going to break that up. Yeah, um, <laughs> there were two people who did the exact same thing twice. Um, one at the start, I think of new 52 and one with, uh, with that Spider-Man comic. 
They were both single people who were fanboys who really, really liked Spider-Man as an early 20s um, single guy and on the DC side, like Batgirl as the crime fighter. So they took away Oracle, who is Batgirl, uh, as she had been paralyzed. She was, you know, basically the super smart hacker who gave everybody information and kind of ruled uh, everybody had to go to her because they knew uh, she knew everything about crimes and all that stuff. That was Oracle. Uh, on the DC side, they took that away. And on the Marvel side, they took away the marriage. Um, and it upset a lot of people. Yeah, I really loved how they developed uh, Barbara Gordon Batgirl into that Oracle character. And, uh, you know, at the, at the time, it, they ran about a 30-issue series um, where they had uh, this character, Stephanie Brown, who is a uh, character uh, created by my buddy Chuck Dixon. And she was in this place that kind of Metagirl is, where she's like kind of a new, new at the bat thing and trying to get a feel for it. And everybody kind of is telling her, you know, she's, she's doing a bad job and can't do it. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to persist anyway, and I'm going to I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to show you. And I love that attitude for one. Um, that that's my attitude with uh, being in the comic and book industry. <laughs> if you're not familiar with my stories, uh, and I, I just do it anyway, despite a lot of people really telling me no all the way through. Um, and so I, I identified with that character big. And then Oracle in the background. Uh, because like she saw like the spunkiness and the tenacity in her and decided to take her under her wing and, and kind of be like, you know what, I'm going to help train you and help you, help you, uh, you know, come into your own. And that was such a cool, satisfying, you know, way to move both Barbara Gordon to the next level and do like really keep back girl young or whatever, however you want to call it. To where you, it, it was a beautiful setup, and, and everything just clicked because you had that wonderful setup, and you can't, you almost can't go wrong there. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's one of my onuses in writing this for sure. What? I, I'm going to back up a second, uh, just in case people don't remember what you said earlier. You said earlier that this was an original story you wanted to tell. And you fell back on novel writing because uh, you thought you'd be more successful at it. It was less costly. Let's call it that. <laughs> I can write. Right. I, You're not I can buying a lot of art, right? Right. <laughs> and, and you can do a lot more in a – people say you can do so much in with visual storytelling, but you can do so much more that you can't do in words than on the page with art. Correct. So my question is, since you did that flip-flop, what did you learn about writing? Or did you learn anything about writing that you brought into your comics writing? Or how did your comics writing improve after doing novels for a while? Um, I think uh, with novels, because they're so open-ended in, in comics, it's like, you got to tell the story in 22 pages. Um, because, um, and, and I mean, they don't anymore. They, they're more written for the graphic novel. But I, I was trying to tell a story within 22 pages and build for the next story uh, over the arc. Um, I, when I went to novels and I had more freeform, like, you, you know, I can end this whenever I feel like. Um, after my first couple and getting feedback off of that, like, I really figured out how to pace things a lot better. 
um, because I, I had that, I guess, freedom of, of length. Um, and once I, once I kind of figured that out, I was able to pare down the novels to where it's just going at breakneck pace all the time. Um, and um, once I came back to comics, it's like, oh, I, I better start this in action rather than, you know, telling people the setup for six pages, right? Um, and, and, and that's probably the thing I learned most from novels. Um, and what I, what I brought from comics to novels is uh, the dialogue really has to be very pithy and has to be very to the point and has to go, uh, has to really move the story along. Otherwise, you know, it, it's very boring to read. Um, and, and a lot of novelists just like, there's a lot of just like dead dialogue all the time. Um, so that helped my novels on the flip side because I was able to make the dialogue a lot better and a lot crisper. Well, that's good to know. That that reminds me of, uh, that echoes a lot of what Brian Niemeyer likes to say. You know, we have him on the show a lot. Uh, he's He does a lot of editing now, uh, just as much editing as he does writing these days. And he always says that when you're doing your dialogue, always you get to have the best lines. You don't need to have people be verbose and talk like we're talking now. If you if you gave us a transcript of this, not only would you be horrified at how many times I said, um, but it wouldn't be concise. It wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be as fun and as interesting as actually writing, you know, with the best possible version of that dialogue. Absolutely. Though, I guess I, I just wrote a script and I'm, I'm kind of making fun of uh, the guy, the, the sort of LA muscle shirt guy type. And it, it's got three pages of them going back and forth, like, dude, bruh, 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 bruh. <laughs> but, but, but I know I'm doing it and it stops at the end of that because it's like, I'm doing that intentionally and it's a joke. Uh, but if, but if I was doing that and that's just because I talked that way and my entire dialogue was that it would, it would end up with an awful book. Right. I guess that's, that's where you uh, that's where you learn how to differentiate. Wow. Uh, if you wanted a tip on writing for comics, the word you should think of for what goes down on the page that's published, not necessarily your script, but the page that the people reading look at it uh, is sparse. When you look at a page of comic, Text should be sparse. Uh, you guys are you guys are the comic readers. Uh, that, that's funny. I just like regular books. I don't do much comic reading, so this is really fascinating to me. Don't you even lie? You don't do much regular reading either. That's what I'm saying. I don't do that. <laughs> the the uh, funny I, part is you, is you go back to the '60s, which I, I read mostly '60s and '70s comics now, and like Stan Lee, like they they would pay him by the word. And so he would actually try to shove as many words as he possibly could into a panel. <laughs> and, it, you know, it does bog down the pacing. And I've actually, because I'm, I'm trying to just plow through as much of it as I can, I've learned, like, where he pads those things intentionally. So I can just kind of glance over where he's describing exactly what's in the panel. Um, you know, it's like, oh, true believers, Spider-Man is swinging off to face another villain again. And it's literally a panel of Spider-Man swinging in the air, like, facing the vulture or something like that it's like i didn't need to read that dialogue it's right here right um so i've kind of figured out how to learn to read that um and and, and read around that to to make the reading experience a little faster paced 
Um, but yeah, it's a, it's definitely, if, if it's, if it's something you can already see, there's no reason to state it again. I think that's where a lot of, a uh, lot of, a lot of, uh, writers stumble. I, let me ask a question. Cause did, did my, uh, metaphor not make sense? Did it not come across what I meant? Uh-huh. Okay. So you've got a big patch of ground. It's your backyard or, or a random patch in the weeds. It's kind of a deserty, deserty country like Utah where I live. And it's all brown except there are a little bit of patches of weeds here and there. That is sparse. It is sparse. Sparsely planted, because for this big patch of ground, you only have a few plants. Well, when you plop down a comic and open it up to a page, you take all the thought balloons, you take all of the captions, you take all of the sound effects, and they should be sparse. There shouldn't be too many of them on that page. People, the artwork should dominate. The text that is on the page of the comic is there to accentuate the art. It is a garnishment. It's there to explain the context that the art is happening in, to explain things that uh, maybe what happened before, maybe the history of the characters, maybe their powers or whatever, um, what people are thinking maybe, but you use very little of it. It's a garnishment. It is not the whole meal. The meal is the art. The text is sparse. All right, we're going to yeah. quote this. The meal is the art. <laughs> Does Done. it make more sense now what I meant? It's great. Yeah. Um, definitely you want you want the art to be able to breathe. I don't know. Look at my uh, look at my uh, actual pages down below. Did I did I succeed in that uh, from the from the preview pages? Let's take a look. Here's well, the first preview page. I've scrolled down well, to see, see look at that. You have one, two, three, four, five, six. Six small text boxes, you know, five word balloons and a text box, and the rest is all art. That's sparse. And if you look at uh, pages done by Marvel nowadays, you would have that entire, everything above that gun would be a huge word balloon, and then you'd have word balloons almost covering that guy's hands, uh, word balloons covering most of those people in the bottom left, it, it, it would just be full, as full as they could possibly make it of word balloons. And it looks like crap, and it's slow to read. It, it's just this vomit of words all over the page. It's, it's garbage. When you look at a page of comics, ideally, the text boxes and the word balloons and thought balloons and... Uh, your sound effects should all be sparse. They should be sparsely uh, planted on the page. I mean, I, I, I'm really trying to get this idea across because it's important. And I guess I'm asking John as if he understands it and he agrees with it. 
Yeah, sure. Yeah. Look, look oh, like that I, John. Look, oh, wrong John. Too many Johns. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why does Daddy Warpig want my opinion on this? I don't write comic books. <laughs> your, your, your opinion matters. Uh, um, no, yeah, as you see, like, I, I really want the art to breathe, and I want the focal point on this to be uh, that giant freaking laser gun, right? Um, that's that's the important takeaway of this page is the giant freaking laser gun, and then of course the uh, the hooded rogue showing up there and uh, and uh, teleporting in uh, in a cloud of smoke. That is uh, the second focal point of the page. Like those two things are what's important here, and I uh, and I want people to see that because that's what's cool. Yeah, I, w- I want to describe this yeah. for anybody who's who's listening instead of uh, watching on YouTube. The the preview page, it starts off with, I think, I want to say a third, more than a third of a page, almost half the page is a giant laser on a platform. Yeah. You're like, you're like <laughs> this this is what's going on in this issue. We're going to have a giant laser threatening everybody. And then a couple of small panels establishing who's talking. And then at the very, uh, on the second half of the page at the bottom, you get a bunch of supervillains show up, and and one in particular is in a purple robe, and his his face is shrouded. And, you know he's in shadow, right? Like you've established three things, almost all with art. I I'm not even sure what the dialogue says. The text is a little small on my screen, but that's it. I think I think it does illustrate exactly what you and Daddy Warpig are talking about. Literally, pun intended. Yeah, if you're writing a comic book, don't vomit text everywhere i mean look at this freaking page you've got one word balloon and the rest is three badass looking bad guys bam sparse the text is just a tiny little garnish in the middle of the art and the text goes kill him and his little girlfriend so it's just this is the big threat yeah there you go well i like it well uh I like the art. I, I actually like the art. And I know which... as as prose authors, as people who come from writing books, we talk in terms of word count, right? We talk in terms of how long a story is. But when you're talking about a comic book, it's not just all about the word count. Because it's the visual medium, it's not just about the word count. It's about how dense the words appear on the page. Where are the words going to be? How uh, how big is any one clump? You know, is there a lot of words on one page and no words on the next? Uh, and so you have to think visually. It's not just about word count anymore. It's about where the words go and what they look like when they show up on the page. Are they bold? Are they italic? Um are two characters, you know, speaking over and overlapping uh, text so they're doing it at the same time? Um, are they in a in a caption box? Are they in a thought balloon? Are they in a word balloon? All of these things have to go through your mind. It's and and I'm not talking to uh, uh, our guest here. I'm just saying those people who are listening, who are authors who want to go into writing comics, these are things you have to think about that are different. It's a different medium, and they have different requirements for writers. You have to think about how your prose translates to the page. You have to think about how you want this to look, not just see it in your mind's eye, but when you make it concrete, okay, 
where does the text go? How do I want it to fit in? And then it's not just enough. As a writer, you can do the hell you want. Nobody cares because you're the only person writing, right? Um, but in when you're working on a comic, you've got uh, potentially, you've got a penciler, an inker, you've got a colorist, um, you've got a lot of people who you are working in collaboration with and every one of them needs to be on board with understanding what you're trying to do. And they may all have good ideas that make it better than what you thought of. So yeah, you need to learn the medium and learn the capabilities of the medium in order to begin writing really, really well. It's not just enough to be a good writer, you have to learn how to translate good writing skills uh, to take advantage of the strengths of this medium. And one of the weaknesses of this medium is you can't paper over problems with flashy verbiage because you are handcuffed. You don't have a lot of words you can use. In fact, you have to be, it's almost like comparing a sonnet to a haiku. Comics is a haiku, baby. You have very few words, and you can only use them in specific places, so you have to be very careful about how you use them. And I actually aim for short words. So if, there, if there's a fancier word that is can be replaced with a shorter word, or if there's like three words that can be replaced with one word, I I always uh, opt for the smaller word uh, because it's it's easier to fit in the space and easier to make. Um, you know, if you get, if you get like a fifteen letter word, it, it makes it awkward for the letterer actually to try to place that because they actually try to make the letters look a certain shape um, as they place their letters in the deal, um, and it's usually usually comes down to close to a diamond shape. Um, and that's the look that that feels professional and feels good to you that you kind of, and makes you glance over and not not look at the lettering and not pay attention to it, which is the goal. Um, so so it's it's important to use those small words too, uh, believe it or not. Well, that's fascinating to me. Uh, yeah. what's the what's the process like actually writing? do you do you do that process as a second pass after you write your script or or do you do that as you're composing the script? Um, I write so my script um, and I do it all the way through, and then um, I give it a couple weeks. I pare down the the, um, the dialogue usually. Usually I end up with about 80% of what I wrote, um, and then I get the art done, and then once the art's done, I look at the art, and I try to imagine the dialogue there, and then I do another pare down of the dialogue, um, and then I send it to the letterer, and then actually after the letterer does it, I take a look at it, and I go, okay, this, like, uh, I've seen some example. I, I don't think there's any on my preview pages because I've, I've, they're pretty clean at this point but say um say my uh on that first page i've got my my bald uh uh ceo villain guy there um he's in like three panels say i started three sentences of his with this is you know if i saw if i saw like he said this is like he's describing this laser here and then the next one he went like this is bad again or something like that i'd be like oh i see two this is starting his panels and it looks funky so I'm going to actually rewrite that with the second one so that it uh, doesn't, you know, look repetitive. So there's there's lots of that going on just for the, actually the aesthetic of the dialogue itself, too. Well, I, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, I didn't either until I 
uh, got good at it actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, that that's like uh, when I'm writing, I'll, I'll I'll of course find that I start a lot of sentences with the word "I." That's pretty common, I think, among people. But that's once common. you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah, and and trying to vary that is actually the hardest part of prose. So yeah, that's uh that that is the struggle. Well, now you've confirmed uh, my. Uh, speaking of regrets, I, I, I regret playing World of Warcraft, but I do not regret doing software engineering instead of uh, writing prose. Nice. Thanks for that, <laughs> Shinobi. I, I, I mentioned Shinobi said he back in the chat. Uh, we are now under 250 bucks from my first stretch goal, so I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for checking it out. I, I guarantee you'll have a fun story. Uh, no, I haven't looked at the stretch goals yet. Uh, is there an option for noobs to can throw you in a couple extra bucks and get all three volumes? Yeah, so the, you can do it digitally, or you can get all of them. Actually, it's up on the Daddy Warpids or your screen, whoever. Oh yeah, I can see it right now. Right now, uh, I was just looking at the pretty pictures. <laughs> so complete spring sparks. Uh, you know, I mean, it does get more expensive because these are full graphic novels, every single one. Uh, but I actually try to discount it a little bit so that uh, you can. Uh, get the story uh, pretty cheaply. So if you're getting the whole set, which is three graphic novels and one comic, uh, that would typically be an eighty dollar purchase. Um, but uh, on the on this, uh, you get you get it for ten dollars off. So new people can kind of get in a little more cheaply. Uh, now, do you you expect you accept uh, Visa and PayPal and stuff, right? Standard Kickstarter things. But do you accept uh, World of Warcraft time cards as payment? Uh, maybe gold. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can sell that, I, at least uh, you know that's how, that's what they used to do back in the day. Uh, yeah, I, I, in retail, wow, selling gold is actually uh, common and encouraged now. Remember when they used to ban it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. those were the days. No, that's really cool. I. I I have very few comics in my collection. Maybe I'll add Flying Sparks to it. I think That'll... you'll like it. You like my steampunk stuff, so I, I think uh, I think you'll enjoy this. So that's for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, th that's all I had. I I ran out of questions. I'll just I'll just come out and say <laughs> it. <laughs> it's okay. We've talked a lot on this show before. Um, uh, Anti Dark Mind asked in the chat, "What age would you say Flying Sparks is written for?" I think it's probably 15 to 25 in there. It's like, it's got some pretty gory violence in spots. Um, I, we had uh, earlier Daddy Warpig was showing the, the kind of splash page of the guy who just got completely fried his, uh, because Johnny uh, used his electrical powers to, to fry him. Um, that's pretty gruesome, I think. Um, however, I mean, my 10 year old read it and I, I'm like, what was your favorite part? And he goes, the blood. So maybe I'm a little off. I remember being 10. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am worried, right? And he's like, it's the coolest part. <laughs> oh, so funny. Uh, no, that's that's the right age, man. I was watching the Terminator. Maybe I shouldn't have been watching the Terminator at ten. You but... shouldn't. Have. Your parents should have stopped that. That's no good. Yeah, that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> it made me into the well-adjusted individual I am today. 
we had a thread about that uh, on my Twitter account because I quote tweeted somebody, and I listed the Lost Boys, which I saw at like twelve ish or so, and they started listing all these movies. And I'm like, Dag, I saw all that movies before I was, you know, fourteen or fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Lost Boys wow. is a classic, though. My, my, mom, my mom was very um, good about keeping stuff for me. So I, I didn't see a lot of that stuff early. My kid's a little more exposed. I mean, so he figured out, like, you know, I mean, he'd wake up. At, the thing is, like, he figured out how to get onto Netflix probably when he was, like, seven. So he figured out how to get in and wake up earlier than I wake up and then just keep it quiet. And then he'd watch the Marvel movies. And then by the time I found out about it, he'd already watched like five Marvel movies. Um, (laughs) You know, it's like, dang it. Um, But, uh, you know, I mean, at this point, those Marvel movies, they're pretty violent, to be honest. Um, And the uh, but at the same time, like even last year when he was like nine, like he would be like, all my friends went and saw it in theaters and I haven't seen it. And like, I mean, it's the pressure's already there. So the, the parents are being a lot more relaxed than my mom would have never let me see a PG-13 movie at nine, like at all. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, what What do you think is, as a proud parent, are we better off for it or not? We're absolutely worse off for it. Come on. I had to throw you softball. Yeah. Ban video games. Video games are the worst. I wish I'd never seen them. I just bought a brand new video game last night that I haven't played yet. What is it? It's called Control. It I looks heard of it. bat crap insane, and I'm all excited. <laughs> uh, apparently, in New York City, there appeared at one point a building uh, that is described as a brutalist skyscraper uh, that is filled with different rooms that link, link to different places and different realities. And uh, it's there's an entire government bureau set to try and keep them from leaking out into the real world. And there's been some kind of horrible event where they've all leaked into this building and, and disrupted things with, uh, and it looks like they've killed a lot of agents. And I don't know if that's true or not because I haven't played it. Because um, I'm mature. I, damn it. To all to heck, I'm mature, and so I bought the game and I let it download, and I didn't play it at five in the morning when it was done downloading. I was asleep. When did this happen? You're when a very responsible become, adult. When did I become an adult? So anyway, <laughs> it's insanity. You get. You know, all these special powers, you get a gun that can reconfigure itself, and I have no idea if these are, like, psychic abilities or dream powers or whatever. I just, I watched the trailers, and it looked awesome. I had somebody on Twitter say, hey, this game is awesome. Have you played it yet? I'm like, no, man, I haven't played it. I remember seeing the trailer now when I went back and watched them, but I was like, ah, screw it. I want to go play this. And so I just got some money, so I'm like, let's go play this thing. So that's what I'm excited for, is uh, a bizarre game that looks uh, looks awesome. Sweet. 
Uh, th that's the way it is. Speaking of adults, that's the way in, in my preferred hobby in, in board gaming industry, many of the people I play with are, aren't really players. They're collectors. They, mm. they, they see something cool. They see something new. They're like, oh, that would look great on my board game shelf. And they never <laughs> have time to play. Uh, that sounds like me. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, we. You still owe me a game of terraforming Mars, John. I do. It's been forever, and uh, and we definitely need to do that. Uh, absolutely, but I I believe it or not, I actually I firmly fa fall in the player category. I I I bought one new game in the past uh, like four years. Uh, it feels what good the, to. What was the game you made me watch when I was up there that you guys play every week? We were playing Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven yeah. is the business. I came very close to buying that just because I saw you guys playing it, and I'm like, this is really nice. It looked great on my shelf. Um, and uh, It would also take up happen. half your shelf. It would. <laughs> uh, that is another one of those games that, that people just come in, see you, and you're they're like, wow, what is that? Yeah, definitely. It's got a lot of cool components to it. I, I did opt to, uh, I found a copy of uh, the Ogre uh, re-release uh, Kickstarter edition by Steve Jackson Games mm. um, on, at Half Price Books. So I got it for like 70 bucks and it was, it's like a $200 game and it's huge. And it's, it, you know, if, if you guys don't know, aren't familiar with it, it's like tank warfare, except for one person's a giant ogre tank and then the other person's like a bunch of like little tanks trying to take down the ogre tank. Um, and that's that's the game. Now I, the cool part about this is giant. I don't want to, I don't want to advise you to do anything bad or anything, but I know for a fact that you could tempt Jeffro from across a continent if you were setting up a game of ogre and let him know about it. Like he'd probably fly out to play ogre with me for real. Oh yeah, I, that is amazing. <laughs> absolutely, I'm gonna make this happen. This uh, this sounds great. <laughs> But they make they make extra components. This is where I get into my like super collecting awfulness. They make like these like because they, they it comes with like cardboard tanks, but they actually make like miniature tanks that you can like like replace them with with the game. So you can actually buy like extra components that like make it even look cooler. And uh, that's what I'm going to be slowly collecting uh, as I you know dump out my bank account for stupid things over the next. Oh year. yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm talking about. <laughs> Hey, well, I'm that that is the new that is the big thing in uh, board games right now is that if you want a successful Kickstarter, you just need one thing, and it's a great set of minis. If oh, you've got yeah. if, if you've got good miniatures, especially on a stretch goal, and and it's a an, a decent game, you're gonna hit all your stretch goals. That's that's where all the big money makers have come in in the past few I, years. I have a line on miniature a miniature maker. Like, should I make flying sparks miniatures and put them on my thing? You know what? I I don't know if if comic buyers react the same way to miniatures, but you know, all all of these comic game nerds are adjacent to each other, so it well, might be worth a shot. Uh, uh, let me let me jump in here. If you make miniatures. You have to send them out in expensive old regular mail. You cannot mail them in medium mm. mail. So it costs more. People will get it more slowly, and it'll be uh, a lot more difficult. It introduces a lot of knots in shipping. Interesting. 
So uh, but that's a great question. Forget miniatures. When are we getting our first set of Flying Sparks action figures? <laughs> I, I don't have a line on that. And I, I actually think that's a very important thing that I want to make. Um, so if you have a way for me to produce those uh, or know somebody who does something like that, uh, let me know because I want to I want to add that in for sure. OK, well, if I if I ever figure it out, I'll let you know. All right. Thanks. Because that sounds awesome. Uh, now it depends. Do you want the uh, do you want the fancy Todd McFarlane style, or do you want the fully articulated uh, GI Joe style? Um, I'd be interested in both. I think the GI Joe style that's a little like if that's not as high of a price point probably would be, you know, get more people buying, which is better. So, you know, um, I, I I've seen some resin statue, custom resin statue designers, and those get really expensive. So, I got some bad news, guys. What's up? We are out of time. Is that so? It is so. What have we done? That's what I ask every time I play WoW. (laughs) (laughs) Like how I went full circle? That's a good writer for you guys. Yeah, you you brought it back. yeah, nobody's better. Nobody's better than you and Daddy Warpig at just bringing that around. Uh, yeah, and, and and I'll continue to bring it around. Uh, I've had a great time chatting with you, you guys. Uh, but this whole episode, I've killed like thirty ogres, and the motherfuckers still have not dropped my gem. Uh, I swear to God, this is the worst quest ever. Okay. <laughs> Do you have any last words? Mr. Delarose. <laughs> Buy my book. Let's hit the first stretch goal today so I can brag about how successful it is and then other people see it and go, oh my gosh, it's so successful. So they buy it too. That's that's the goal. Okay. I'm not mincing words. That's the truth. <laughs> success begets success, especially in crowdfunding. It's true. It's true. Buy John's book. Uh, for my part, uh, it was great having you on. It was great talking to you. and uh, Daddy Warpig, as always, uh, you guys are great. And thanks for people hanging out in the chat, talking about WoW and comics and everything else. Uh, it was it was a good show. Thanks, guys. Uh, I want to thank everybody who showed up to listen to the show. Uh, all of our regulars who were here, Escape, Veloc- Escape Below and uh, Raymond Soldier and uh, Wolfman at Large was here. Bradford Walker was here. Um, and a bunch of other people that I can't scroll up fast enough to mention. Raindrop was here. So on and so forth. And also the gentlemen who are... Um, John's, uh, John's steady listeners from his lunch stream. We want to welcome you guys to the show. Thanks for uh, dropping in. And, uh, you know, if you like the show, other than the fact we didn't get to flying sparks for fully 15 minutes and 36 seconds, I counted, or I didn't count (laughs) personally. I looked at the timer. You'll notice that I tried to get that, I tried to slide that in quickly when people started mentioning it. I, I, I got that in on the board. I got that into the conversation as swiftly as possible. Uh, but I do thank you guys for coming in. To everyone who uh, listens later, you can catch this show live every Saturday pretty much, pretty much at the same time. We are on youtube.com slash geekgab. That's youtube.com slash geekgab. Everybody who's a new listener who is a uh, um, an avid listener of John's, if you like the show, uh, go ahead, check out some of our older shows or check out some of our newer shows that are to come. 
that are yet to come in the future. You can also get us on the Google Play Store, the uh, Apple iTunes Store, and on SoundCloud.com. Just do a search for Geek Gavin. You can download our show to the device of your choice. We are signing out for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.